0: This is Ed Mazur, Chairman of the City Club of Chicago. We kicked off 2020 today with our speaker, Charlie Beck, who currently serves as the Interim Superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. Beck has spent more than 43 years in law enforcement work. He has a background with community policing and de-escalation policies. He was appointed as Interim by Mayor Lightfoot in late 2019. In addition to managing the overall department, the office of the superintendent is responsible for critical functions, including planning and implementing the Chicago Alternative Police Strategy, improving the department's response to domestic violence, facilitating and coordinating law enforcement services to the senior citizen community, planning police coverage at public gatherings, addressing a whole host of legal and legislative matters. Superintendent Beck is here to make the Chicago Police Department the strongest department in the United States of America. He was introduced by Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who referred to him as a visionary leader who will make Chicago much safer than it is now. He said there has been a loss of trust in the police department and a perception that the police department is not effective. There is an oversight by the federal government... And he said, we will use the Oversight Roadmap, all 700 pages, as a success chart that will lead us to more effective policing. All police officers, he said, will learn and understand the Constitution as well as solving crimes, a two-pronged approach to improving the Chicago Police Department. There were many interesting questions directed at Superintendent Beck, and he answered as many of them as possible. He summed up his job by saying, My job is to deal with the last homicide. The community's job is to stop the next homicide. Ladies and gentlemen, if we could have your attention. Thank you. We hope you're enjoying your lunch. At this moment, I would like to introduce someone who really doesn't need any introduction to us. Very strong supporter of the City Club of Chicago. We appreciate her taking time from her very busy schedule, to join with us, the Mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Thank you. It's always wonderful to be speaking before the City Club, um, and today's visit really is no different. I said that to Ed, and I say this to all of you, um, the City Club is a very important forum for our city. Uh, We need to make sure that this organization remains vital and strong, um, and I intend to do my part to make that happen. So thank you all for being here. here to to listen to both the leader of the Chicago Police Department and a national leader in policing. Like many across the country, particularly those focused on public safety, Superintendent Beck first came to my attention following an op-ed he co-wrote in the New York Times a few years back. In it, Superintendent Beck described his vision for policing as being made up of, quote, Humane, compassionate, culturally fluent cops who have a mindset of respect, do not fear black men, and serve long enough to know residents' names, speak their languages, and help improve the neighborhood. What impressed me about Superintendent's op-ed, though, wasn't just that he wrote it, but who he wrote it with. And that person was Connie Rice. For those of you who don't know... Connie Rice is a prominent civil rights lawyer and activist in Los Angeles who had spent much of her career suing LAPD in misconduct cases. The fact that those two people, who are often on the other side of the V from each other, as we say, the fact that they could be collaborating so closely and publicly as they did was something that I hadn't seen before or since. There's an unfortunate dichotomy in the public dialogue and in private attitudes that when it comes to police reform, you're either pro-cop or pro-community. One of us or one of them. Standing up for the good guys or defending the bad guys. Suffice it to say that this duality is one that both the superintendent and I categorically reject. Not just because it's both toxic and patently false, but the very premise stands as an anathema to our fundamental values and the role of public safety um, in the borders of society's fabric. In order for residents and communities to thrive, um, there cannot be an us-versus-them mindset. It just has to be us. All of us are in this together, and we must strive towards the same things, safe streets, safe schools, safe homes for our businesses to build and our families to grow. We all want to know that we have each other's back and that we will succeed when all of us succeed. That has to be the mantra for our city. The notions of police and community are in fact the two, the two pillars of the same singular mission. And any success that we achieve, much less any enduring success, will only be built on those foundations. So it should come as no surprise that the superintendent's success in Los Angeles was built on just that. In a few moments, you will learn, as I did, both Superintendent Beck's deep care for the well-being of his fellow men and women in uniform and for individuals and communities they engage and serve with. To offer just one example, in the fall of 2011, Superintendent Beck, in his then role as head of LAPD, launched the Community Safety Partnership to develop strong relationship between members of the police department and residents in the city's high-risk public housing communities. Some of you know LA, this is an area we all know as Watts. Just after three years, violent crime there dropped by over 50%, as did the number of arrests. Meanwhile, clearance rates rose to 81%. And, folks, you cannot achieve those measures of success without a deep, enduring partnership with the community. And this is just one example um, from many of the superintendent's time um, in Los Angeles. Now, as I said, when I first announced his appointment, Superintendent Speck's tenure here in Chicago will not be long. But to be clear, this is not a caretaker position. Quite the contrary. There is important work that needs to be done now. And the superintendent knows that and with his team has really dug in to start leading the way and transforming our police department. He knows that working hard, making sure that we win the trust of our officers, but also of our community, is mission critical to making sure that the police department is the strongest in the nation, and that is my commitment to them. Chicago cannot afford to wait for someone to get their sea legs, no matter how talented. We are coming off a year that saw historic, across-the-board, public safety improvements. But as I always say, there's more to do. No one could be taking a victory lap. No matter how hard we are working, no matter how much the critical indicators on shootings and homicides continue to trend in the right direction, there are still lives being lost, there are still families being shattered, and communities that need our help and our support. It's critically important that we get that right, that we move forward aggressively on the consent decree to make sure that we are fulfilling not just the obligations in a contract, but fulfilling the obligation to support our men and women in uniform so they have the strongest set of resources, the best training, the best supervision that we can possibly provide. Now, if we do that, we will go a long way in supporting healthy, safe, and vibrant communities. And on many important fronts, Superintendent Beck has been proven to be a visionary leader with the experience and strength our city needs in this moment as we move forward in our journey to be the safest big city um, in America and really a model for the nation. And if those of you didn't see it over the weekend, there was an article that came out of Philadelphia where people are starting to look to Chicago for answers. Folks, that is incredible news. Without further ado... Superintendent Charlie Beck.
0: Folks, before we get started on your tables, there are some blue 4 by 6 cards. If any of you have any questions that you would like to address to uh, Superintendent Beck, our staff will collect them after his remarks, and we'll try to handle as many of them as possible. So, without any further ado, Superintendent Beck. Thank you.
2: Well, good afternoon. You know, I, I love uh, being introduced by Mayor Lightfoot because, you know, it's, it is uh, certainly unusual enough to call rare that, that you work with somebody on opposite sides of the, of the aisle that that understand you so well. And one of the reasons I I took this job is because Mayor Lightfoot and I formed an immediate connection while talking about policing. Uh, we believe the same things. I'm going to talk a little bit about those things in, in my discussion with you today, and then we'll have time for some questions. I do want to comment on on the mayor's uh, discussion of, of me and uh, Connie Rice. You know, Connie Rice, as the mayor said, a very, very strong civil rights activist who, who sued me and the Los Angeles Police Department many times. And then came to the realization uh, about the same time that I came to the same realization that we could do so much more together than we could separate. That we could actually achieve the goals that we both wanted by working together. And we formed such a strong bond that um, when I returned home um, this past week to Los Angeles for a, for a very, very close friend's funeral, uh, my wife sat on my right and Connie sat on my left. And you know, we are, we are family. And, and that's what I want for Chicago. That's what I, and you know, the, one of the reasons that I was so excited about talking here today is the mayor is one of the reasons I came here. You're the other. Chicago has so much support for public safety reform that I am stunned. You know, I come from a, from a city that, it, that is also big and metropolitan, but this level of support and the, and the level that, at which people are willing to put their time, their energy, and their money where their desires are, is unlike any other major city in America. And so I'm going to start my conversation with you, but what I would like to say is that this is an incredible city. And the aspirations of the mayor and myself to make this the safest big city in America are so achievable. And, and we'll talk a little bit about why. But, but first, I, I thank you for the opportunity. You know, the commitment of the city club to public safety, to to a healthy community in Chicago has made all the difference. And, and the people in this room are here to say that. And then the mayor, you know, I cannot thank her enough. It is so refreshing and so valuable to have a mayor that is laser focused on making the city safer. You know, Chicago has gone through a, a very difficult time and it is... Mayor Lightfoot, and her belief in the in the CPD and our belief in the community that is going to make the difference. So a little bit about me. I was forty three years with the Los Angeles Police Department, started as a as a reserve officer, then became a patrol officer, worked every assignment you could imagine. I am the son of an LAPD chief who rose to the second. Highest position within the, the police department. I have three children. Uh, they are all police officers. Two for LAPD. The black sheep, my youngest daughter, works for the sheriff's department. Uh, but but she came by it honestly. Her mother is a, is a, is a sheriff's uh, detective, retired sheriff's detective, was the the first uh, uh, woman uh, uh, canine dog, dog handler in narcotics, uh, you know, a real pioneer and one of the, the best cops I've ever met. The second best cop I ever met was my sister who was a LAPD detective, and I have multiple cousins, and as you can imagine, uh, many, many close friends who are cops. Sometimes when people ask me about my relationship with cops, I say, well, I, I, that doesn't really describe it. You know, if you, when you ask about cops and me, you know, I am cops, that's what I am. And I understand them. I lead them. I know their, I know their faults. I know what makes them great. And, and I know how to get that out of them. But any discussion about, about me and, and Chicago has to be a tale of two cities. And those two cities are, of course, Chicago and the city of Los Angeles. And Historically, Chicago and L.A. have run parallel courses in, in, in not only public safety, but in their relationship with their police department. Now, these parallel courses are separated not only by 2,000 miles, they are separated by two decades. What L.A. has gone through before, Chicago is going through now. And each of these, each of these journeys is defined by the tipping point events that that caused major change. And those tipping point events for Chicago, as you well know, are the horrific actions of John Burge and then the Laquan McDonald shooting and its aftermath. The parallel course of Los Angeles is the Rodney King beating followed by the rampart scandal and although there are almost 20 years that separate the the two separate cities separate events they both resulted in the same thing they resulted in a huge loss of trust and confidence by the community in their police departments and a perception that neither police department was effective in what it did They also resulted in oversight in a consent decree for both agencies. And I think even more dramatically, there's a human cost. Both agencies, both cities, suffered their most violent years following these tipping point events. In L.A., the, the results were even more horrific than Chicago. In Los Angeles, after the after the Rodney King incident, we suffered a riot. They claimed more than forty-seven lives. We also, the following year, had the highest homicide rate in modern history in the city of Los Angeles: twelve hundred
0: homicides—an
2: <coughs> am- astonishing death toll. Chicago was also horrifically affected. It fared better, but after Laquan McDonald, the city of Chicago had over 700 homicides, and as LA did, lost its city's faith. But LAPD, in those 20 years following the Rodney King incident, Rodney King beating, was reborn. And that rebirth came through dedication, came because of a consent decree that focused on best practices in policing, created a roadmap for success, and then a mandate to follow that roadmap. You know, in any big city, whether it's Chicago, New York, or Los Angeles, the competing interests of budget can have a huge impact on progress within any one of the departments within that city and the consent decree mandates that the city put its money where it where it where it wants to go in other words invest in improving the status of their police departments the result in los angeles was that after 12 after 12 years we met the um, requirements of the consent decree and were released by the federal government. For the past 10 years, and remember we had gone to a height of 1,200 homicides, for the past 10 consecutive years, LA has had under 300 homicides a year. Last year was uh, 252. Huge improvement, still far too many deaths, but huge improvement and all done because we concentrated on the two things that I think are most important in policing. And those two things are trust and effectiveness. You know, a police department that loses its city's trust or a police department that becomes seen as ineffective cannot succeed. And police departments that have trust become more effective and police departments that are more effective, build trust. It's a revolving, cer- it's a revolving door that, that builds upon each other and it is absolutely the core of what I believe in policing. Chicago will achieve these results. Chicago will follow the path of Los Angeles, will earn itself out of the consent decree, will become seen as a model for effectiveness will build public trust and and how do i you ask know, so how do you know that chief uh, And i always think of myself as chief by the way you know sorry it's hard to get rid of 10 years of uh, of of identity right and that's because chicago is much better positioned for success than la ever was following the riots the technology in Chicago, the crime-fighting strategies in Chicago, the the infrastructure that has been built into the into the 22 districts of Chicago, the SDSCs, the strategic decision uh, rooms with the, with the shot spotter and a, a tremendous closed circuit TV network, crime analysts that are open 24 seven to build strategies for making the city safer. That is beyond what, what any other major city police department has. The, the pieces are here. The Chicago Police Department is well-staffed. Chicago Police Department per capita is a third, again, larger than Los Angeles. And, and while not as big as New York per capita, it's certainly big enough to do its job. Public support in Chicago, as I talked about earlier, to me, is off the charts. People come to me all the time. You know, strangers in airports, how are we doing? You know, is, 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 the, is the police department, does it have the right stuff? Am I, and I'm here to tell you that it does, that the pieces are here. We have a committed mayor. We have a committed CPD team. We have people that, that have come to join me, uh, that have walked the path of concentric compliance. But let's, let's talk specifics. Let's, let's talk about exactly what we've done and exactly what we need to do to become what Mayor Lightfoot wants and what you want and what the members of CPD want, and that is for Chicago to be the safest big city in America. What, what have we done? What's left to do? First, commitment to the consent decree. You know, I, I see that I see CPD walking the, the the exact same path as LA did. You were initially upon the, the uh, entry into the consent decree. There is disbelief, there is misunderstanding, there is uh, failure to focus. But we're changing all that. The consent decree is the roadmap by which we will exit. this street that we've been on the consent decree with its mandate will give us best practices in policing it is literally 700 pages of policing best practices and ensure that we don't lose our way it it is I, i cannot overstate the importance and and the consent decree will not only make us more effective in what we do But compliance with the consent decree builds trust. When people see that you have complied with what is a court order for excellence, they understand the effort that you put into it. When people see that you put as much value in constitutional policing as you do in solving crimes, they understand and that builds trust. You know I, I talk about constitutional policing all the time, and I used it purposely there uh, uh, as the as the opposite of uh, of solving crimes because they're they're very different but they have the same goal so most people think of police officers as enforcing the laws of the state of illinois you know the 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 laws that that basically constrict Um, uh, the actions of the uh, residents of Chicago. In other words, they tell you this is what you can't do. The Constitution, on the other hand, is the document that every police officer, including every man and woman of of CPD, first swears their fiality to. They, They swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States before they mention a word about the laws of the state of Illinois. And what does the Constitution define? Not the rights of the state, the rights of the individual. The right to be free from unlawful search and seizure. The right to demonstrate, if done so, in a lawful way. All of the things that define America for us are in the rights given to each and every one of you by the Constitution. And it's so important that everybody in CPD understands that our number one duty is to uphold the Constitution and protect folks inalienable rights. So important and something that we are dedicated to. (laughs) Next, on on, on, on how we get to where we need to be, our crime strategies are working third year of double-digit decreases in violent crime in the city of Chicago. A really, really strong start from what was a very tough year following Laquan McDonald. Not only that, we were able to achieve under 500 homicides this year, which is fewer than we've had in the last four years. Now, as the mayor said this is not a victory rat lap this is not where we need to be but is it is where we are and where we will con- what will make us continue to be successful on this journey now what contributes to those things i already talked about the strategic decision support centers in the in the in the districts their predictive analysis the crime analysts that are assigned you know and and these strategic decision centers were funded by philanthropy if, you know, if it wasn't for the Joyce and MacArthur Foundations, these things would have never happened. And this, again, is a testament to the people in this room and the will of the people of Chicago to make a difference, to be the difference. Another program that, that is being rolled out in Chicago that I find absolute, have absolute enthusiasm for is the district coordination officer pilots in two of our districts. District coordination officers are what you would think of as your beat cop on steroids. It is a a tenured police officer who is given literally the role of chief of police for quality of life type crimes and and community complaints in every beat in the city. It's patterned after programs in, in New York and Los Angeles, but they've been very effective. It puts a face on the C P D. It gives every person that lives in this city a phone number of an officer they can call 7 365 to deal with quality of life issues. Now that's not this this is not this officer is not for nine one one response. We still have nine one one for this. This officer is for long term problems and long term solutions that make huge differences in neighborhoods. You know my my, one of my core beliefs in policing is if you make a neighborhood healthy if you make a neighborhood able to have businesses that thrive to have kids that can get to school to have uh, folks that are willing to come out of their houses and, and not fear gang activity then you make a neighborhood that is free from crime and even though all of our neighborhoods are not going to have the, the same economic prosperity every one of them can achieve that that belief in their own social efficacy belief in their ability to control their public safety destiny that they can be safe and that's what the dco program that is the hope and aspiration of the dco program and it is it is my goal that before i leave in the next 3 or 4 months that we will have a schedule by which we will roll that out citywide and I think it is so important in in order to make not only changes in the city itself, but changes in the CPD. Building trust is not only external; it's got to be internal too. One of the reasons we're in the in the throes of reforming the promotion process is because members of CPD. Hey, Kevin, that's <laughs> uh, my union boss uh, and friend. Um, had lost faith in the promotional process. And all of you are leaders, all of you know that if your workforce does not have faith internally, then they will not be effective externally. So we put a moratorium on merit promotions, and we put a path forward to make sure that our testing process is regular, is fair, and is results driven. In other words, it gets the kind of results that Chicago wants, which is a diverse an effective workforce and that builds trust another piece that builds trust and makes us more effective that that we are that we are enthusiastic and engaged in in CPD is work with street outreach workers you know these are workers that that come from the community that have ties throughout the community and that address gang and gun violence in a way that no police officer can. You know, when when you have that conversation uh, with with a, a young man, and it's primarily a young man, who believes that the only solution to conflict is gunfire, that has to be had by somebody that has walked in the shoes that, they've, that they are now walking in. That's the way you achieve results. That's one of the ways we did in L.A., And that is something that I find very healthy and thriving in Chicago. Now, CPD has to do more on its side, and we are doing that to ensure that that we are on the same page. And this is not because we work cases the same way. As I always say, to kind of make a simple explanation of the relationship between street outreach and, and police, is that my job is the last homicide your job is stopping the next homicide. And this collaboration can have huge, huge benefits for, for particularly gun violence in Chicago. We are also conducting a complete review of the structure of CPD and the allotment of resources within that structure. And by the time I leave, uh, we will make structural changes and we will be bless you. And we will be on track to make sure that we have the right number of cops in the right spots to do the right thing. And this is going to build as we talked about in every one of these pieces effectiveness and trust. And then finally because our goal is to increase effectiveness and build trust, the most important piece as I said when I started, is you. And without you, without your involvement, without organizations like the City Club, without your enthusiasm, we will not be successful. But I think that just as important as you, you have to know that the men and women of CPD are ready for this challenge. I've been to almost every district. I've I've uh, made a thousand contacts. These are motivated folks that are ready to step up to the plate and be the difference in Chicago. I'm very enthusiastic about the workforce and I believe in them. You know one thing I, I didn't tell you is that my my great grandfather grew up on the west, west side of Chicago. and. My grandfather was born in Chicago, and after World War One, he went to the West Coast where, where, where my father and his brothers were raised. My father used to tell me stories about... My grandfather used to tell me stories about what he remembered from Chicago. And for me, this is a little bit of a coming home. You know, I want to make sure that this city prospers. I want to make sure that this city has the best police department it can possibly have in the short time that I'm here. But I also want to make sure that my great-grandfather knows I did the best I could do to make his hometown and now my adopted hometown the safest big city in America. So thank you, and I think we have time for some questions.
0: Thank you very much, Superintendent. Um, we have a lot of questions here, as you could imagine. I got one answer. By the way, all your relatives, your family and that, all police officers, and either with LAPD or the sheriff, anybody in the fire department, the gas company, the electric company? No, it's a very successful family. That, well... There's one big difference between L.A. and Chicago. Okay. This is from Bonnie Allen, who's with the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. What's your number one priority as the current leader of the CPD? So what my number one priority, and I'll be a little broad,
2: is to ensure and set the CPD up for success. You know, And, and we talked a little bit about that. I want to build trust in the community. Everything we need, everything we do has got to be about building trust. And I want to make us more effective. And if those things happen, if I can set that up for my successor, then I will have considered my time here a success.
0: Okay, speaking of your successor, this is from Ted Z. Manuel. Ted, where are you? Back there. If any of you read the newspapers, you read the uh, letters that... Uh, people send in some of the most articulate letters. If only the stories by the reporters were as good. Okay. (laughs) Superintendent Beck, to finish the reforms already begun, should your replacement be an outsider or an insider? So, I think that, you know, that
2: obviously is a question that comes up. I don't think it matters whether it's an outsider or an insider. If it is an if it's an outsider, it has to be an outsider that, that understands CPD. This is a very complicated organization. Uh, luckily for, for me, um, you know, after uh, uh, Lequan McDonald and when, a- when Eddie Johnson took over as uh, superintendent, I reached out to him uh, to see if I could help, and, um, and he said yes. And so I loaned him my chief of staff, for a year. And all of you run big businesses, you know what that means. I was you know, I was putting LA's money where where our mouth had been, you know, in that what we wanted to be a leader in policing, but but we wanted to be in collaboration with all our brothers and sisters across the nation. So Sean who seated right here seated right here at the table came out to Chicago, he's from Chicago and uh, has lived in Chicago and was Oh,
0: sorry about that.
2: You know, I, I had one of those hit me in the head while I was doing this once, <laughs> and uh, that might explain a lot. But so, so, uh, so in that manner, I had lo- I had a little head start. I, I understood what was going on in Chicago. I had uh, you know some access to to CPD. So if it's if it is. An outsider—it has to be somebody like that. You know, to come in cold here, well, first of all, you'll match the outside, but but to come in cold here, I think, is a hugely heavy lift. But on the other side, if it is an internal person, it has to have, have, it has to be somebody who has had access to what's going on in the profession nationally. Because there are, there are many, many things that that Chicago can learn from what's going on around the nation, and you know, one of the reasons I think that—well, I don't think I know—that we were effective in L.A. is because Bill Bratton came in; he sent me around around the world, literally, to learn what was happening in other places. No one department has the answer to all of this is you know it, it, everybody is learning everybody is 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 good at something not as good as something else we can all be better by what we learn from each other and so that you know if it's a if it is an if it is an inside person it has to be somebody that has that outside perspective and you know we started that just a little bit last week Um, Major City Chiefs, which is the organization I belong to that is the the top 50 or so major cities in the United States, uh, had their uh, annual uh, winter conference and I took 20 people, thank you Crime Lab 20 people from CPD to go to that meeting and that was because we have to learn what's going on outside our walls and it is so important. So it could be either, but the, but it's going to take a different perspective from both.
0: Very good. Okay, this is from Julius Lesser, City Club member with Winston and Strawn. Wouldn't reinstatement of stop and frisk reduce gun violence in Chicago? So, um, short answer, no. No.
2: Um, long answer is that is that is a um, when used incorrectly and and by you know by the the short term definition that has come into the vernacular with stop and frisk it, it 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 intimates that it's being used incorrectly so I'm going to assume that that this is you know uh, random stops uh, w- very light on reasonable suspicion uh, that are just generated to empty somebody's po- empty somebody's pockets and see what's in them uh, My biggest success, the way that that in the most violent parts of Los Angeles where we had the reasons we had the most success was because the community trusted us. And random stops without sufficient reasonable suspicion do not engender trust. They break down trust. You know, I as a as a child of the LAPD you know, I, I was a uh, young sergeant during what was called Operation Hammer by um, then Chief Darrell Gates, which was stop and frisk at a, um, at, a, at a rate beyond belief. And I directly attribute the 92 riots to that program. It wasn't just the Rodney King trial that caused the 92 riots. It was the breakdown in trust between the community and the LAPD based on programs that everybody could see were, you know, sublegal at best and illegal at worst.
0: Thank you. Um, this is from, and there are several questions along this line, but this is from uh, Florence Massal with the Civic Federation, participates on our panels quite frequently. Um, His question has has cannabis legalization helped other cities reduce violence? And what impact do you expect adult cannabis to have on public safety in Chicago? Sorry about my phone. That's all right. I I enjoyed the musical interlude. So,
2: obviously, L.A. went through uh, legalization um, several years ago, and and we really didn't see a change in violent crime, especially anything that was attributable uh, to legalization, one way or the other. I will say, you know, from a from a chief's point of view, it it, it really isn't the fact that 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 um, marijuana is legal that that causes crime associated. With um, cannabis facilities, that, that's really not the issue. The issue is that the price is far too high for a uh, for, for a uh, agricultural crop, and that payment has to be made in cash. You know, mo- believe me, in policing, money is the root of all evil, and businesses that are all cash, which cannabis businesses are. Are absolutely ripe for robbery, burglary, internal thefts, for having their customers shaken down on the, on the way in, it is just bad business and if if you were to ask me uh, what would make you know this uh, change in, in social norms safer, I would say, a way for people to to pay as almost all things are paid for now. And that is uh, through debit or credit. Cash is, is absolutely the In, in Los Angeles, uh, I, I would guarantee every year after legalization that we would have at least two homicides uh, in cannabis facilities due to armed robbery. And that's because that's where the money is. It, it, isn't, it, isn't, the, it isn't the product. That's evil. It's the cash associated with it. So you know, long long discussion from a, from a very, very um, a difficult lesson because that's not what I expected at all. But that is what I found.
0: Okay, let's take a look at uh, some questions regarding gangs. Uh, Jim Terman, city club member with Jess Jeskalka Terman Strategic Communications, Dwayne Deskins, who's a former federal prosecutor. Uh, their questions are What is your perspective about Chicago's gang problem? Is it unique, or do other cities have similar problems? And Dwayne wants to know um, Gun violence and gangs are chronic problems, yet witnesses are afraid of violent retaliation. What are we doing to protect witnesses? And encourage their cooperation. So there, there's two sources
2: for criminal street gangs in, uh, in the United States. The city of Chicago and the city of Los Angeles. You know, you're the uh, uh, gangster disciples, uh, uh, Latin kings export themselves uh, throughout the nation. The Bloods and the Crips. Uh, MS and 18th Street uh, from LA do the same thing. You know, these are the these are the two home cities for major street gang activity in the nation. Um, I worked as a gang officer. I worked as a gang sergeant. I was a lieutenant in charge of multiple gang units, and and I wrote as chief of detectives. I wrote the LAPD's gang strategies. Um, both of my you know, here we go—the Charlie Beck stories. Right, they go on forever. Uh, both, of, both of my children uh, have worked gang units, and and I I know way more about street gangs, particularly in Los Angeles, than than any person has a right to that hasn't been a member. What what I think is most effective, what has proven to me to be most effective, and this goes to the second question, also how do you how do you keep witnesses safe? Is building Trust in communities. You know the, when when the mayor talked about the 81 percent homicide clearance rate in Watts, one of the highest homicide um, in districts in in the L.A. in L.A., she was talking about community trust. If in order to reduce gang violence, you have to have trust, and the people that perpetrate that violence have to believe that you're going to be effective. They have to believe that there has to be a core belief that if they pull that trigger, the chances are better than not that they're going to go to jail over it. Now, jail isn't always the detriment to them that it would be to you, but it is still a detriment. So anything that we do to build trust, and I talked about a lot of them in my, in my speech, will, is effective in reducing gang violence. And the use of, of uh, street workers, gang intervention folks, street interrupters, whatever the term is that you want to use for them, is highly effective in, in building community trust and highly effective in reducing gang violence. Now, cops still have to be good at their job. Our gang units still have to make arrests. Our gang units still have to, to chase guns. But there is another, there's a, there's another facet. To keeping a community safe, and and the the city of of Chicago is quadrupling its funding for those programs, and the CPD is all in, and and we will make a difference in gang crime, gang violence in the city of Chicago, through those methods.
0: Thank you, you, Superintendent. Um, This question is from DePaul University Professor. Nick Cacharongas, are you content with the current CPD training for officers? What kind of changes in the training are you going to be recommending? So, short
2: answer is is uh, is we have a long way to go on our training, uh, but most of that is outlined in the consent decree. There's a, you know, the consent decree is is very heavy on training, and it should be. You know, well-trained police officers are. Are much less likely to use force. Are uh, are much more likely to be successful in keeping a neighborhood safe. You know, there is um, uh, one of the one of the constant complaints that that I heard from officers that I talked to was we don't get enough training. I want to make sure that, that that they get the best training that is available. And you know, we we are about ready to uh, to move to a new training site with the. Uh, with the uh, with the help of the of the city council, um, and and we believe that we can provide absolutely state of the art training to our police officers over the next couple of years, and it is so important to those two things we talked about: well trained police officers and gender trust. Well trained police officers are effective. You know, I'm, I'm you know I cannot repeat that mantra enough. Training is key to it.
0: Thank you. Um, This is from City Club member Bill Baylor. Bill, where are you at? Okay. He obviously hasn't read all 700 pages. Does the consent decree recommend foot patrols that put patrol officers in close contact with citizens in high crime areas to begin to develop the trust and effectiveness you've talked about?
2: Well, they don't single out foot patrols, but obviously those are those are things that uh, that I talked a little bit about the about the uh, district coordination officer, and and that really is a beat officer that is that is even more than just uh, there during their shift. It's a beat officer that is omnipresent in your neighborhood uh, through your ability to contact them to make differences in in the way that you live, and and so you know that will be the the vehicle upon which we we push community policing you know, out of headquarters and into the, into the blue and whites. And, 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 you know, I think that, that people will come to rely on their DCOs just the way that you envisioned the, the beat officer in the, in the old days when, when we were able to, to use uh, police officers in that fashion.
0: Okay, thank you. This is from uh, City Club member Sherry Runner, who's affiliated with the Humanity Institute. Her question basically is, what can you do to address the decades-long issues of the code of silence that affects the police department?
2: Well, first, you, you can admit that you have an issue, that you have a problem. I think, you know, there are, there are police leaders that have said that there is no such thing. Well, of course there's such a thing. There's a, you know, there, there are professional codes of silence in almost every profession. That uh, that is out there now. It's particularly obvious when it happens in policing, and it's not universal. This is not an absolute code. You know, you're looking at a at a at a at a long time police officer that has that has arrested multiple police officers committing crimes that have, that worked internal affairs for a long time that that has you know not participated in that, and the vast majority of, of police officers don't participate in it. But it is an issue. And so when you find it, you have to act on it and you have to be very clear that I expect officers, I expect the people to, that work for me to tell the truth. And if they tell the truth then I can deal with what happened out there on the street. If you lie about it, I cannot deal with it. Then I've got to deal with you. And I will deal with you very very sternly. So Code of Silence is the the antithesis of professionalism in policing. And certainly while I'm here, and certainly my successor, will make sure that that when we find it, and luckily that's not the norm anymore, when we find it, it's acted with
0: appropriately. Thank you. We just have time for three more questions. Then we have a little ceremony. Well, because we could be here all night and day, correct? Okay. This is from Gina OM. I don't know what the OM is, but maybe it's O'Malley. What would you say to the leadership of the Chicago Teachers Union, who are city employees, but who appear to be so vocally anti-police? Well, you know,
2: I, I mean, I haven't seen that. And that's not my experience, but, uh, you know, I am new to Chicago. Uh, I will tell you, my mom was a teacher. You know, I know that I have a, a lot of employees that, are, that have uh, teachers in their family. You know, I have utmost respect for teachers. I would just ask them to, to watch what we do and don't listen to what other people say. You know, I think that a lot of times uh, folks get caught up in rhetoric um, involving professions. You know, everybody can find stereotypes about any profession, stereotypes are, are the laziest form of thinking humanly possible. Don't treat me with stereotypes, and I certainly wouldn't do that to you.
0: Thank you, Superintendent. This is from Annie McGowan with the, city, with the Civic Federation. Annie, where you at? Over there. Good. The Cook County Sheriff has recently been expanding policing inside the city of Chicago. How does the CPD view this initiative? Is it helping or hurting? Well,
2: I have met with the sheriff. We've discussed this. Um, my philosophy on, on other uh, police agencies in, 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 uh, in the city for which I have primary responsibility is this. I have plenty of work. If you want to do some of it, come on. <laughs> so so but but it takes coordination, it takes um, you know unity of thought at, at in the command uh, and and it takes accountability you know the The thing that I believe in uh, above all else as far as managing uh, police resources is accountability and as long as the sheriff is accountable then then i 'm all in for that
0: okay, the last question it 's kind of interesting. From City Club member John Hammerschlag. John, where are you? Over there. Okay. You know the TV series Blue Bloods? Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Well, you know, you have all these officers and that uh, in your family. Do you ever have Sunday dinner with all those men and women and, and yourself? And then his final question is, would Frank Reagan, Tom Selleck, be an effective police chief in this city <laughs> well so, so I became
2: uh, I became police chief in Los Angeles in, in 2009 and of course my family was, was uh, very publicized in uniform at my side you know my dad as I told you was a chief just starting to sound familiar um uh, the, the big difference between—and uh, I tell my wife this all the time—the big difference between blue bloods and and the Beck family is that the wife is dead. So, so it's like a Disney, it's like a Disney movie. There's never there's never a mom, you know, and 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 the men are left to flounder. So, um, there there is a uh, there is a tie between uh, my family story and and blue bloods, um, you know. Uh, I have no idea what kind of uh, commissioner or superintendent Frank Reagan would make, but uh, but I, I certainly uh, appreciate the thought. You know, this is uh, policing is something that is that that everybody's interested in. You know, and and that's why uh, so many TV shows are patterned after uh, law enforcement and law enforcement families, and and that's a really good thing when, especially when they're portrayed. In a very positive light, and I and I think as a by and large, you know, blue bloods does that. Now they they show some very fantastical things, but you know that's that is the license that you have when you make entertainment. So, so uh, in to the, so finally somebody's got to give me a question that I have no idea whether the answer is yes, no, or maybe. You know, um, I I will tell you this: I, I do watch the show. <laughs>
0: Let's give Superintendent Beck a real big round of applause.